Hello and welcome to Between the Lines, where we bring the passion, humor, and humanity back into business conversations. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Vesela Ignatova. Continuing our Spotlight on Entrepreneurs series, she's going to talk about the startup ecosystem, scaling businesses to become market winners. Vesela is in the fast track lane of accelerators, a startup advisor, strategy manager, investor, and ex-venture capitalist. She has bagged 12 years of experience in strategy for startups, corporates, and accelerators, which makes her the perfect guest to share insights with our entrepreneurs. She has lived in Paris, New York, and London, and her big corporate experience provides vital lessons learned for small startups to help them upscale their business. With experience in the strategy and operations lead at Uber Exec and Uber Lux, she's all about the startup ecosystem. She's ambitious and disruptive. Join me now, listen up and enjoy. We are so pleased to be working with the Company of Entrepreneurs to bring you this Spotlight on Entrepreneurs episode of Between the Lines. The Company of Entrepreneurs is part of City of London's historic livery movement and is a membership organization of industry-leading entrepreneurs who are committed to promoting and supporting excellence in business entrepreneurship. Aside from the fellowship it brings to its member Freeman, it provides a vital network for advice, education and acceleration for entrepreneurs to grow their business, especially those from underserved communities. As partners, we are privileged to align with them to grow the community and celebrate the success of its members. To learn more about their work, visit entrepreneurscompany.org. Hello, Vess, and welcome to Between the Lines. Hi, Haig. It's very nice to be here. And I know you go by Vess, so I took the shortcut, but your, your name for the listeners, if they missed the intro, is Vesela Ignatova. Did I say that right? That's correct. Okay. I think that's, yeah, that's a great shot. <laughs> so, 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 Bess, tell us about your name. What does it mean? Does it mean something uh, inspirational? Yeah. So actually, my, my full name, Bessela, means happy in Bulgarian. So I try to live up to that uh, namesake, yeah. you know, maybe almost every day. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. So we're out of lockdown. So we're not full lockdown and we're reasonably happy. So did you get a haircut? So what's the first couple of things you did? This week, because for those outside of uh, the UK, we I think about a week ago, we uh, they opened up outside areas and haircuts and, uh, you know, nails and all that stuff. So what was your poison? What did you do? I I got my haircut. Okay. I'm quite happy. I was the first person, I think, in the hair salon, which is uh, very different from what happened uh, before COVID, because I used to be one of those, you could say, lazy people with the hair. I would go every four months. And now I'm very, very, uh, <laughs> you know, regular. So I already did that. And of course, I've seen uh, all my friends. We've, I think we've been out there for a single night. So, um, yeah, my flatmates haven't seen me in a while. That's cool. I'm, I'm glad you're making the most of it. Uh, hopefully, you've had a really good sleep before this podcast so we get the best of you. <laughs> so you've lived in Paris, New York, London, all cities that I absolutely adore and love to hang out in. So tell me one thing about each city that you absolutely think is unique and you love. 
Oh man, yeah, I, I love them as well. I think usually if people ask me, when I used to live in Paris, people would ask me, you know, which city do you love most? And this would be very, very hard to answer. But I think in New York, what's, you know, very fantastic is the energy that you get. New York is, uh, has left, you know, such a mark on, you know, on, on my life and on my mentality. Like it's, it has this, um, you know, brilliant uh, mentality of you know everything is possible which I think is very hard to find in uh, anywhere else in the world. Uh, Paris was fantastic for its uh, glamour of course. Uh, I managed to collect a very fascinating collection of dresses when I lived there. Uh, so and of course my love for champagne actually came came from Paris. I used to joke I, I went to, to Paris uh, you know for work but I stayed for the champagne so I still stand by it. I like that. And, and London, I think it's uh, been here for close to five years now, and um, it has such a you know cosmopolitan mix of you know cultures and um, you know people and um, different approaches to life. I love it. It's to me, it's um, probably the, the closest thing to New York that I get in Europe, um, and uh, yeah, it's where I you know want to be. Yeah, it's super eclectic here in London. I love that too. It's absolutely a, a dream right now, especially. Because after COVID, people are just so happy to be out. It's just such a great energy um, for the outside areas, at least. So um, so what made you travel, I guess, for the first time? You seem to have a love of travel and moving around. So, so when was the first time you realized that that was kind of your thing? So I was actually quite young, I think, when that happened. So um, I me mean, with my parents, of course, we used to travel abroad when uh, I was growing up. Uh, but the first time that I was abroad by myself um, is uh, the one time when I think this got really imprinted on my mind. Um, so I was actually here in the UK for summer school. I remember, I, I think we went for a month or two. That was, I, I think, the, the moment that I can trace, you know, now as, as an adult, you know, the, the first time when I was like, yeah, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. It's just how it's going to be. <laughs> so for good or bad, it's been, um, it's been real. So how soon after that, you said you were 16, right, when you did that trip. So how soon after that did you fly away from your nest, I guess? Uh, yeah, so I permanently left uh, when I was, I guess, 18 or 19. Okay. Uh, so right after high school, um, and I went for uh, to the United States for college. So I had a scholarship to go to Dickinson College. Shout out to my alma mater, uh, where I uh, wanted to study international relations. So that was the, the first time. Okay, so before that plane takes off, I, I just wanted to ask you about the cultural kind of pendulum swing that you took going from... Bulgaria, I guess when you were born, there, it, it was still a communist country. And uh, so I just wanted to get a feel from what what you might remember, which I don't think, obviously, you were pretty young when, when it was actually communist, but, but what you kind of gained, I guess, from, you know, listening to your parents, looking at photos, talking to people, any kind of positives you think that came out of that? What I remember is the 90s where, uh, you know, where, of course, the, the country was going through a lot of change. Uh, it was a very turbulent time, um, but it was also a time uh, ripe for opportunity for, you know, self-expression and uh, really, you know, kind of defining who you are. So as a, as a teenager, I think experimenting with a lot of different uh, kind of personas, if you want. And when it comes to communism itself, to be fair, all I know is stuff from my parents. And that's one thing that uh, they mention is that during the communist time, there was a lot of predictability. So, and I think in, in the context of what we've gone through with COVID, that uh, uh, kind of gives you an appreciation for that. So being able to plan, you know, your 
uh, yearly vacation or, you know, even your career or, you know, your family life, like all those things. Yeah. Apparently, you, you you tend to know kind of where you fit and what's going to happen. So, so Bess, what made you choose international relations as your, your subject as well? So international relations was one of the toughest things to study at my college. So uh, Dickinson was renowned for its international programs. Uh, I believe, of course, it still is. Uh, international relations was uh, the kind of uh, topic that I thought would give me understanding about the whole world because you study, you know, macroeconomics, you study policy, you study, um, you know, culture. Uh, and because you're studying this from the point of view of being in a, a liberal arts college where you can practically choose half of the classes that you take. Right. Um, I combine that with a lot of um, uh, classes on psychology and anthropology because I thought that that's going to give me the micro uh, level of understanding. So between the two, I thought it was uh, you know a brilliant thing to study. Like at the end of it, you come out you know kind of knowing how the world works, if that makes sense. Like from the individual all the way to the to the big picture. Um, so that's why I wanted to do that. It was a very scary topic for us because at the end of it, I think we had a like a four-hour oral exam and a few people wanted to sign up to that right. <laughs> because that sounds scary um but you know i survived it so it was okay but you got through all that and then i know you've done an mba at london business school was that did you do that straight away or did you take a break so i did i did take a break so uh first i worked in new york and then i worked in uh, paris i did my mba um practically to to switch careers and to go um uh, within the, the, the corporate uh, context of the corporate world. Uh, so, yeah, I, I already had quite quite a bit of uh, experience underneath my belt. So one thing um, I, I find I find fascinating is is you've, you've had multiple careers in multiple cities and, and, and it's just fantastic that you've really jumped on that kind of self-expression, creativity wagon to do what you want to do and create your own life, create your future. So jumping to New York, so you were part of, I guess, the Mad Men era or the Mad Women era in advertising. So tell us what what drew you to advertising, what you liked about it, and then why you left. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I wish I actually had seen advertising when uh, it was the Mad Men era. <laughs> it would have been fascinating, at least to, to compare to how, you know, Don Draper does it. So, yeah, I, I did work on Madison Avenue, so that is uh, absolutely correct. But, yeah, so it's true. I, uh, you know, I was supposed to be a diplomat uh, of sorts. Uh, you know, I graduated cum laude, so that was on point. But actually, during my third year when I was in college, I went to this conference with uh, Princeton, which was in New York. Uh, and I think the, uh, the, the energy and the fascination that I had with the city left such a mark on me. And I knew I wanted to uh, to live in this city. Uh, and then in combination with that, I actually fell in love with brands and kind of building, um, you know, building massive companies through the point of, uh, of brands. And so I decided to move to New York um, and, uh, you know, per pursue a career in, in marketing. And what kind of clients did you have? What kind of uh, areas did you work in? Vertical. So at the time uh, I worked at, so it was a small agency called, uh, I'm trying to remember, they got bought by Saatchi and Saatchi. And so uh, nice. everybody was just wearing it as Saatchi and Saatchi. But yeah, my client was Sanofi. So uh, we were working on, uh, you know, healthcare nice. advertising. So why did you leave? And then you went to, to Paris, right? 
So yeah, so I moved to Paris because I wanted to get on the strategic side of marketing, and I had a you know a great opportunity to one you know move back to Europe, uh, go to a new city that I hadn't you know lived in, uh, and um, I was going to join you know a great agency working on the Nissan account uh, with a fantastic mentor. Uh, so that combination of you know the stars aligning um, you know made me want to uh, move to move to Paris and work on Nissan. Well, I, th- I think post-COVID, uh, this is so inspirational for for so many of the listeners because I, I know so many people are jumping out of one thing and into another thing. And I think you were obviously doing it years ago and, and you come through multiple leaps of faith and, and you seem to have fearless drive to do it. But uh, I think it's so inspirational for our listeners, especially part of our Entrepreneur Series, just to hear how you really just guided yourself. Um, you've learned on the way in terms of what you want to do, and, and you've gone after it, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, so, so we're in Paris now. You're drinking loads and loads of champagne. So, why <laughs> would a champagne lover ever leave Paris? So, what made you shift out of the strategy <laughs> work there? Yeah. So, fortunately, uh, you get champagne everywhere in the world. Maybe not all of the champagnes, of course. Right. <laughs> I think you know very well the the champagne list in Paris is a bit longer. Yeah, no, so I decided to, uh, you know, to, to move, uh, to, to make the move to uh, to London, particularly for the MBA, because I think the, you know, marketing industry was going through a lot of change. Right. Uh, and I found that um, I would have had, you know, more uh, influence and more impact if I was sitting on, you know, what we used to call the client side. Um, so, um, you know, the digitization of, you know, advertising, you know, has made it so, you know, ultra specific and very, very targeted. And I think to, to a point, uh, actually, you know, the creative agencies, which is where I was sitting, were at a disadvantage just because, uh, you know, a lot of you know, clients didn't necessarily uh, want those kind of services or even need them as much. Right. Uh, so um, that was a big driver. And I just saw an opportunity to, you know, go and you know, do what I love, which was actually, you know, building, you know, I used to think of them as, as brands, as, you know, kind of the, the coating around it, but I wanted to actually build big businesses because I thought, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the issues that businesses had were actually, uh, they laid with, with the products and their understanding of customers and how they actually connected to those customers. And none of those issues were necessarily a, a communications issue, so to speak. So it's a great kind of journey. It's not that erratic if you think about it, because you've done Madison Avenue to see how to market and and, and kind of sell stuff, and then you've done the strategy work in Paris, and then then you're moving into to, to how to kind of scale up and grow businesses and and startup kind of world. So I see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about accelerators. I know you've got a very soft spot for accelerators. I read your article it was the future of acceleration, and and so I want to learn a bit more about the startup ecosystem. I've heard accelerator and incubator used interchangeably. Again, maybe for some of our listeners, you can define both. So yeah, they are used interchangeably. Practically, the, the difference comes from the stage of company that you uh, work with. So typically, the incubator is, uh, you know, for companies that maybe have an idea, they probably don't even have an MVP yet, and you know, the role of the uh, of the program that you devise around those companies is going to be different from an accelerator, which you know, even by the name, uh, it should be, uh, you know, implied that, you know, you have something which is, you know, working or you're trying to kind of find that product market fit and you're just supposed to uh, kind of accelerate that growth. Um, so it, that's where that, you know, difference uh, comes from. So, so what makes a good accelerator? 
So I think uh, there's, you know, a lot of good uh, programs uh, around, uh, you know, the full spectrum from, you know, the very, very small companies to the slightly larger ones. The key thing is that the uh, program actually is very targeted towards the kind of companies that it supports. So, for example, if you are working with, uh, you know, very deep tech companies, they're going to have specific needs. And, you know, you maybe don't need to, if you're, you know, of those companies, you don't need to go to, you know, Y Combinator or maybe you can go to Y Combinator, but a bit later. You don't need to go to other programs, but you need to go to one which is specific to, you know, what your business model is, what your vertical is, because what you want is to be able to connect with the kind of mentors or the kind of corporates that, um, you know, can really help you uh, expand on your uh, on your business model. Actually, I was talking to one of your mentors who actually works with me on on some of our marketing production, and he's a mentor. And so... Um, I know that you support WeWorks Accelerator and you do some work there. And uh, he spoke very highly of the successes you've had with some of the companies in your accelerator. So maybe you can just tell us about one or two of those successes. Yeah, so um, I, I've worked with a couple of my companies quite closely. So there's one, Axiom, uh, which uh, just actually graduated uh, Y Combinator last month. So uh, congratulations to Yaz and the whole team. So they've done uh, fantastically. And there's another one which uh, actually was bought out already a bit early, but uh, it was a marketplace for for fab, uh, for that store fabrics. Okay. Um, they're of my, of my favorite ones that uh, I think they've done phenomenally. And the best stock fabric uh, one, um, you know, Ryan, who's the CEO, he's a fantastic operator. And I think he can, you know, achieve so much. He's one of those people who's always hustling. So... Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, good good successes there. In the years that you've been working with startups, just to give me an idea of uh, the accelerators you've touched, so how many startups have you seen? Oh boy, um, 20, 50, 100 more. In my original lab, I had about forty or forty-five, okay. uh, and that's uh, kind of a light touch. Of course, you you, you cannot uh, you know work with them very very closely. You kind of pick you know a couple which is what I ended up doing. So what I specialized in, which is the um, uh, investor relations and uh, you know, raises of money for the startups. Um, so I have trained for you know, some of our demo days, uh, north of 120 startups on how to pitch. Okay. Yeah, that's probably the, the largest of volumes. So in, in the work that I've done with you know, labs, there's and have a varied amount of, of startups depending on what kind of programs or what kind of demo days uh, that uh, we go through. But yeah, I think it, in terms of individual startups, I've probably you know worked with more than two hundred you know easily. Wow! And and to what extent can you or some of your your kind of teammates running the accelerator tell if the the kind of management teams are going to succeed or not? Is that kind of obvious, or is it just it's just kind of how you know how how the business plan goes? So it's, it's very, very tough, actually, because you can evaluate a business plan on paper and then you can meet the people. <laughs> so uh, the thing that I have always looked for when I've worked with the startups is, the, of course, the founder in terms of the hustle and the discipline that they have. And then, of course, the product market fit that uh, the idea has. Uh, and I think uh, there's been, you know, some, you know, of course, great successes that we've spoken about. Also, there has been, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate situations in which you have a fantastic business idea, you know, uh, investors are coming to the team to you know, throw money at them, 
but then they end up having a fallout and then there is no company anymore. <laughs> so exactly. yeah, you, you have those, unfortunately. <laughs> so, so I think you're being modest. You were, you were personally involved, as far as I know, with Uber Exec and Uber Lux and reviewing the business model and the products and uh, you initiated the repositioning for the UK. Is that right? So tell us about that experience because that must have been pretty exciting to see that thing grow. That was indeed very, very exciting. So this was uh, something I did uh, during the, the MBA. So yeah, I was uh, practically put in charge of um, doing a portfolio strategy for the niche products and Uber Exec and Lux uh, happened to be the, the, the largest part of that project. It was very exciting uh, to be sitting you know, in a tech company, which is um, you know, experiencing massive growth and you know, working with a you know, fantastic team that is very, very bright, very, very, uh, you know, um, you know, moving, moving fast and uh, very, very competent. It was great to be able to see results of your work very, uh, very fast. So I remember we made a very small change on the app, which is just moving at the time the Uber uh, exec icon on the first page. And uh, then the rides just went through the roof for that. And I remember I went to um, my N plus, I think two at the time, uh, and I was asking him, like, is this even real? I'm looking at the dashboards and I cannot believe it. <laughs> he was like, yeah, it's real. And it's there. And I was like, wow. And it's just, I think that excitement to, you right. know, you, you do a test, you do a little experiment and something happens. And all of a sudden you have unlocked, you know, so much more opportunity and, you know, probably even new markets. So that through, I think, was uh, just absolutely astonishing there. How do, yeah, how do you think COVID has affected um, certain aspects of growing startups or, or, or the you know growing networks? Do you think it's been a positive or a negative? So actually, as part of the work that I did for the Future of Acceleration series, I asked uh, the startups exactly that question uh, about their mentorship networks. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you've seen, the, there's been research published by the Harvard Business Review. Right. Uh, which was about people's personal networks and how those had shrunk during COVID. And I think we don't probably even need a, a study for this. We have all experienced it. <laughs> you know, you probably have, you know, a few friends that you hang out with and that's it. But actually, when it comes to professional networks, uh, at least for the, for the startup segment, it seems that those have expanded. So both in terms of number of people and in terms of uh, geography, uh, and in terms of um, specialization, so you know, start, the startups that I work with have managed to connect with people that are you know across the pond or just somewhere in a different country, and have managed to connect with you know experts in, in into what they needed. And I've experienced that that as a you know in my capacity as a independent you know mentor and advisor to startups, I you know work with some now that are in the U.S. And I think that would have never really happened uh, if uh, if it wasn't for COVID, actually. So, so in a way, you're saying it's broken down a lot of cultural barriers, right? Yeah, I think I think there's a bit of that. There is definitely a bit of that, uh, and we have uh, you know the data to show that. Uh, so um, you know, it's uh, just connecting. You know, on video now, you can just do it with anywhere. You know, anybody anywhere, and as long as you speak the same language, <laughs> literally. Um, I, yeah, I think you're practically on equal terms, uh, regardless of where you are. So it's not the same as just going and sitting, you know, next to somebody at the, at the dinner party. Yeah. You know, that advantage is not there as much anymore. So, so, so as an international mover and shaker, I want to just ask you about one of the newest social platforms here, which is Clubhouse, which I'm on and I know you're on. And so, 
What's your feeling about Clubhouse? You think that's uh, something here to stay and the fact that it's all kind of, you know, voice and live. Uh, do you like that? Do you think it's, it's got a place for the startup world? Because I know there's a lot of stuff on there about, you know, entrepreneurs and startups and investors. Do you think that will that, that will stay long term as a great tool? Yeah, so I think we have all experienced now the, the benefit of not having to commute as much. So I think it definitely has its use. Um, I have, you know, connected on Clubhouse with so many, you know, people, uh, again, in the US mostly because I'm doing, you know, kind of separate research on AI right now. Um, and just being able to connect with people that are, you know, somewhere on the West Coast, you know, it's in the wee hours of the day, maybe, you know, 1am I'm listening to Clubhouse. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> So I think it definitely has its use. Uh, I don't think it's just going to be a fad. The challenge for them, of course, is going to be monetization and keeping people on the platform long term. And of course, I'm sure there's going to be you know, other uh, companies. I know Twitter and LinkedIn already are working on you know, features like that. So yeah, no, it's, it's going to be here to stay. And I think we all appreciate not having to go to 10,000 events. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and just, I, I, I just saw the Maserati kind of car launch and it was nice not to have to fly to Detroit. And I got it all at home at 9 a.m. And it was it was a it was a treat. Obviously, I like to travel and meet people too, but but sometimes it's it's certainly nice just to sit back and watch it on a big TV. Yeah, no, that's that's correct. I think now if you want to throw a very big event, then you need to also have a very uh, you know good reason for doing that. Uh, because you know, not just for you, but also for the people who are going to um, you know, come and attend, you know, they need to be uh, taken out of their bedrooms, <laughs> quite literally. So, so what's in it for you in the next decade? So, you, so what's on your bucket list? Uh, actually, probably in the next decade, I'm, I'm okay not traveling for a bit, <laughs> at least not moving. Um, but having said that, and, and I'll joke about it, but I actually always wanted to go to the moon. So if I can go to space, I think in the next decade, that should be doable. Uh, actually okay. so uh, yeah when, when I was a baby actually this was my first word uh, it was give me and what I wanted was uh, the moon okay. because I was pointing to the moon I'll have, I'll have a word with my buddy Richard Branson I'll, I'll get you on the list that'd be great yeah. I'm, I'm all in I can't remember who's flying where but yeah one of them yeah, they're all flying yeah. and that's I'll take I'll take either I'm non-discriminating when it comes to space travel right now as long as it's safe <laughs> and only the moon not Mars yet Mars is a little bit of a stretch for me. There's just too much radiation yeah. involved. So I want to come back in one piece. Yeah. And uh, one other one to add to the bucket list, as a champagne connoisseur, uh, I would love to actually have my own uh, house, uh, of course, based in Champagne. Uh, I don't know the name, uh, but we'll come up with a name. The name will be uh, easy. Maison de Champagne de Vesela. There you go. I've got some <laughs> go. friends in the champagne business, so they're probably all going to text me now, and we'll try and get that set up for you. Brilliant. No rush, though. We have a decade. I wanted to ask you about your own, uh, you know, your own aspirations potentially for having your own business, because you've obviously said you touched a couple of hundred startups. So do you have any kind of desires or any kind of, you know, secret plans to to take over the world with one of your own companies or funds? So, um, yeah, that's that's a good question. Actually, so many people have asked me that and they're like, why are you already not doing it? In, indeed, we've uh, set up a little micro fund with a friend of mine who is actually um, a prominent angel investor uh, in uh, London, focused on 
founders who are first-time founders. It's uh, designed to be their friends and family rounds so or people who don't have necessarily you know, the, the big networks of you know London and like a pre-seed round. So microfund for for pre-seed for founders. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So exactly, it will be pre-seed. So yeah, it's going to be the the professional friends and family round. I love it. So this is this is in the works. Um, it's. Uh, almost there. Uh, at the moment, we have you know a, a good network of um, advisors and LPs. Always uh, looking for more if anybody's interested, and um, of course supporting some startups uh, already. Brilliant. Well, I love the microfund. Uh, we're going to get you to space, and we'll have an opening of your Maison de Champagne de Vesela very very soon. So, thank you for coming on Between the Lines. Really love talking to you and uh, giving so much information to our listeners if they're thinking of getting into an accelerator incubator, uh, even starting one. And um, and again, congratulations on what you've achieved and all the best with everything to come. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'll see you. Uh, yeah, I'll see you soon and at the next uh, whiskey tasting. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, what a privilege to meet Vesela Ignatova. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to share and subscribe. And I'll see you soon on the next episode of Between the Lines. And don't forget to join me in my clubhouse room, Hague's Business Winners, every Monday at 7 p.m. UK time. Once again, a huge thank you to our sponsors, the Company of Entrepreneurs, for this episode. There will be more in the Spotlight on Entrepreneurs series coming up, so do not miss out and subscribe. To find out more about their expertise on entrepreneurship, visit entrepreneurscompany.org.